right, hello. Hi, everyone. Hello, everybody. Welcome to Environmental Podcast. This is our podcast where we investigate different aspects of sustainability. We choose a topic each month and we dive really deep into it. And today we have our guest for our Changemaker Chat to talk about sourcing. It's uh, Trish Blaster. Hi, Trish. Welcome. Hi. Thank you for inviting me. I really appreciate it. Yes. Thank you for joining us. Trish, you are the Executive Director of Botanical Liaisons. And can you tell us a little bit more about what you do? Yeah. Um, I can go back a little bit further before that, if that's helpful for people in understanding who I am and, and my knowledge base. Yeah. Okay. I started um, in a totally different degree, uh, different career and then went back to school to get a master's degree. And, and during that time, I did some research for uh, what preceded uh, a few trade organizations. So it was our trade association at the time. It preceded ABC or American Botanical Council and Herb um, Herbal Gram, et cetera, and all that came out of that Nerb Research Foundation. And, um, and then I got a job at Celestial Seasonings for about 10 years doing research. So the benefit of that, more than be able to have a lot of free tea, is um, that uh, I learned quality control first. And for this industry, that was a real blessing. So I really, really appreciate working in the analytical lab and all the people that helped me learn that. Uh, all the techniques there. And, you know, we were constantly changing them because at the time celestial seasonings was really putting them in place, you know, taking classic chemistry um, into, you know, putting it into a natural products uh, lab and granted it's a small lab. And then from there, uh, I was offered an opportunity. I'm an ethnobotanist by training, uh, academic training, and I was offered a job at Shaman Pharmaceuticals, which was a pharmaceutical company, young, new, new, no products on. And what we did is we, meaning an ethnobotanist, a medical doctor, went into different uh, areas, all tropical areas of the world, not temperate, and interviewed healers and, and what they were using for uh, antivirals, antibacterials, wow. uh, um, anti, uh, antifungals mostly, not antibacterials, but antifungals would be the general uh, term and also then later on looking at diabetes. They then did uh, have a product that passed uh, FDA sanctioning and is on the market for, I don't know what they're using it for, uh, I think uh, diarrhea. But the issue is that we really um, had, uh, we were kind of like one of the first uh, companies out there. It was everyone who was an ethnobotanist and natural products chemist was was checking in with us because we were setting up ethics. We were setting up how to work with people in the field, uh, informed consent, prior informed consent documents. What about reciprocity ethics? Uh, you know, environmental issues on collection, and you know how to um, pay people. Simple things. You know, mm -hmm. so that was an amazing. An amazing opportunity. I traveled to very unique places in the world, or if I didn't, I was given plants that I managed. I did all the sourcing there, and we worked from all the expeditions uh, to collect the, them and monitor all the materials. So we worked in a, a very holistic pattern or, or method where every meetings we had, we had um, biologist, chemist, ethnobotanist, mm -hmm. regulatory, mm -hmm. all working together. So that was pretty exciting. But as all good things come to end, um, corporate behavior was disappointing me. Whoa, I'm sorry, I'm dropping my computer. Um, corporate behavior was disappointing me into a sense that I decided that I would like to work on projects uh, of my own decision and with people that I chose. And so I did be started botanical liaisons back to your original question, which is a non uh, is a profitable um, consulting ethnobotanical consulting firm. Wow. Oh, wow, wow. Um, I don't know if you want me to continue. Tell me to tell you some of the specific things that I do with that or that will come out with other questions. Yeah, I just want to say that 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 the interviewing tropical healers and is a personal dream of mine. So that's just so cool. That's so cool. 
it was it was definitely uh, an opportunity that um, was so incredible for me. I feel so lucky. The problem, I think what happened was because there are very few opportunities unless you become an ethnobotanist and ethnobotany uh, is a field of research. Uh, there are several of us around the world and universities that have uh, well-known ethnobotanists. You can also contact uh, the Society for Economic Botany on econbot.org. And going to our meetings, it's one of the least expensive societies to join. It does has a peer-reviewed journal from the New York Botanical Gardens that's decades old and uh, high quality. But our students are the most important and the majority uh, of people who actually attend our meetings even in our extremely active group. So uh, many to become academicians, but then some to infiltrate the natural products industry. So, um, but what I wanted to say about that too is that uh, Shaman did a lot of great things. And in every young company, there's also, you know, um, growing pains. And I think one of those growing pains was that maybe they grew too fast. And in order to um, uh, deal with that, they ended up having to um, release people from work. And it created a, a shift in some things. And so there was no proof of concept. What the problem was, the aftermath of people were saying that, uh, gee, you know, it didn't work. Shaman was unsuccessful, but I don't think that was true because interviewing healers and how they perceive um, diseases and how mm -hmm. they prepare diseases. It's not just you take an herb and you isolate it right. in a Western uh, technique of polarity usually with chemistry, but that you actually get the details of how it works and you know if there's dietary and we did a lot of that research you know what are the adjuvants you would need to add to that and how did they extract it because they had very unique extraction methodologies to create alkaloids or some other chemical class well, but uh, we didn't really prove that that was functional we ended before that was shown and so it disappointed me that people felt like that wasn't a, a method that we continue with. And yet the rainforests or tropical areas of the world are shrinking as are these knowledge holders. Totally. They are older and dying. Yeah. <coughs> and that's something that you, that uh, we, we read about on your website that the uh, botanical liaisons has uh, is really dedicated to making sure that people are paid um, and that indigenous folks keep their tradition, are able to keep their traditional spaces alive and um, that you're really dedicated to creating ethics and creating ethical verifications. And even with shaman, like you're saying, said you were setting up ethics and informed consent with these spaces that had never felt that before. And that's a topic that we've talked about in, in previous environmental episodes where people were just coming in and taking their knowledge or taking their land and, and not really asking or not asking in a way that made sense uh, to in that culture, you know, just kind of taking, taking. So it seems like you've been, you noticed that early and sort of showed up and they were like, nope, informed consent let's let's create this and it seems like you left because of a lot of the reasons a lot of us small businesses do uh, is because of corporate shit and then you know you were like let's let's make this this uh these verification programs so i'd like to know a little bit about those ethics the ethical sourcing and stuff so <clears throat> word to the wise if you want to be consultant it isn't stable. So if you need stability, don't go out there. And two, if you wanna be very ethical, it doesn't mean you make money um, because you have to make those decisions in business. When someone asks you to do something, you're going, well, I have to recognize the owner of this information. They go, no, we don't want that. We just wanna use this. And I'm like, well, I, I can't. And you lose jobs. So be aware of that. And I, I'm sorry about that. It's not everybody, but there are quite a few people in biopri bioprivacy was extremely active at this time. And so people were going and taking things, 
even smuggling, I guess you could say, in a sense, out of the country, seeds, yeah. whatever, to to utilize without recognizing those people. So, um, you know, I don't know. It's general manners. Would you walk into someone's house and go, hey, I like this picture. I think I'll just take it off the wall and take it home. You know, I mean, it's as simple as that. When you go into a, well, when we went into a, a society or a, a, a village, we usually had an introduction. So we'd have a local person with us who had some relationship with them. And so they knew that. But the first thing we did was meet with the ruling parties, which were often a chief and their council, or it could be a tribal group, you know, that was much larger that took several years to get permission. But um, you want to ask them, it's like prior informed consent means that look, we would like to be able to ask your healer some information. We would like to be able to collect materials and research them. The result of this could end in a profitable um, event. Maybe not, but if it is, we'd like to share that profit with you and wanted you to know about it. Now, that was a struggle into itself because how do you share that if multiple people have the same uh, information? And mm -hmm. so, um, you know, we talked to people and so there were different terms of reciprocity of acknowledging the knowledge holders. And that would be immediate, something that we could give right then and there. Um, something that is medium term, like, you know, maybe paying for the continual collection of materials. And, um, and then long-term, if we do make a product, how do we do that? And it, ultimately we decided that if there was a product that came out of something and there were other uh, partners who had suggested that um, same use or herb, we would try and share with all the people we had worked with. And granted, that was a smaller amount, but it was still something that we felt was more equitable than highlighting one person or another. And you can't just give money to the chief or the healer. That creates inequities just within that culture itself. And there's a lot of mistakes you can make just you without you even knowing it, you know, and I can tell you some great stories. But um, so I think ethics are important. So you need to hold that in your heart and mind first, so that, you know, you're careful on where you step. And if you make mistakes, acknowledge them and talk about them, you know, so you will see them. They're obvious and stuff. But people are so appreciative in general, cultures really want to trust you. And when they do trust you and you exchange things, there's a much greater depth to that gift exchange than we in Western civilizations, I think, uh, understand. So, mm -hmm. so ethics are uh, in a lot of different areas. And um, I think that uh, they... I started writing an ethical document, which isn't out yet, the Skylines for Natural Products with Aaron Smith, who's an herbalist ethnobotanist who now works at um, uh, Banyan Botanicals. And she and I are just writing a draft of something very simple that would be to adopt, but to make people understand that we need to make commitments. We are an industry of health and healing. And so that extends to packaging, it extends to purchasing, yeah. it extends to every person that touches this um, material. And I've started a program uh, with KSM 66 who in India who does um, with Thania Ashwagandha uh, touching lives globally because so many people are affected by the manufacturing part from mm -hmm. soil to soul, which is an old yeah. word that Odwala used to use, Greg Stettenpol. And, um, but it's true, you know, what happens from the seed? Is that actually the right plant? Because if you're giving someone a plant to heal themselves and granted, maybe flu isn't that important, but gee, um, using saw palmetto for prostate cancer could be a little more critical or, um, you know, hawthorn, the right species of hawthorn when dealing with, with heart situations. Anyway, it, it, it has a lot of effects. So you need to start in the beginning and create ethics all the way through every aspect of your process. And I know that's yeah. very general and we can drill down to more, but I just, uh, my last several years, really the focus of most of my years in the industry 
was to make sure that people are identifying the raw materials because there's been a lot of errors. I don't know about the current numbers, but in the past it had been only about 30% of all published uh, articles in Journal of Natural Products and, and most of the chemical natural uh, products chemistry journals, only 30% actually were identified correctly by using um, yeah. the botanical classical situation, which is to collect a reference material and put it onto archival material and shelve it archivally. And so therefore there were errors in things as simple as echinacea and uh, using the wrong species, a lot of times even using the wrong genus. So there is, that was what I was mostly focusing on. So at Celestial Seasonings, I worked on creating a herbarium, which is a library of plants and we did our own cleaning. And so we uh, had a lot of things coming out of the material when we were cleaning and a mm -hmm. lot of it was seeds. So we actually decided to identify the seeds because some ended up being toxic. And so we had to be extremely careful on our cleaning. And then we had to give feedback to um, the uh, collectors, the suppliers, because they were intercropping to make it valuable for them. But intercropping with things like castor beans was a very dangerous thing. Or wild harvesting an area where abris, jaquarity bean, which is very fatal. Um, you know, you, you, we found out about those things. And so we created these ethics or guidelines about you know, uh, and worked with the people. And it wasn't just canceling contracts, it was to just inform people and then develop those trusting relationships. So um, I'm going off on a little bit of a tangent here, but I do believe that identifying your plants is probably the most important thing. And then from there, uh, working uh, with various people in different stages of, uh, of development and companies, whatever, um, we uh, worked with projects from field to facility because the FDA has clearly mm -hmm. outlined what goes on in a facility and people have stepped up to that challenge, I think is pretty well. And, but there's still so much. So what they would get materials in, they would see that they'd either have the wrong material or it would be the wrong part or it was dirty or it was, you know, there was a, 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 an adulterant in there, um, meaning yeah. either a different part or possibly a different plant, which could create problems. And mm -hmm. so you can't fix that very well. You can dilute it and stuff, but is that really ethical? So then you have to go back and, and talk, excuse me, and talk to your um, field people and work with them to, to really get your people in the field to audit. And so we created audits. Um, American Herbal Products Association created a, a good agricultural practices and good uh, collection practices back in 2006. I was lucky to be on one of those formative um, groups that we wrote that. And you know, we tried to use WHO and other existing things, but they didn't go as far as we wanted. And so yeah. APA was really instrumental in setting that um, basic, um, I think, guidelines. And then recently in the, oh, I don't remember if it was 2018, they rewrote them again. Uh, various people had input, um, but they did then redo that and created some opportunities to have documents from that you can get off the web page to uh, use while you're in the field. But then a group of us, meaning um, mostly United States uh, Pharmacopeia, who does auditing, um, so USP, um, sometimes uh, UL, United Laboratories, that does a lot of auditing, and um, Eurofins also most of the larger uh, certifying bodies participated um, to create an, an audit form for this. And that was under the auspices of um, SSCI, Supplement Safety um, Compliance. And so that organization is made mostly of retailers who were concerned about what was getting on the shelves and were pushing back a little bit to require a lot of details. And also because people, everyone's asking for an audit and that's a very expensive process and it takes people off of your production. So we're trying to offer audits uh, through SSCI um, that, uh, that allows for um, a very broad 
complete audit, but then doesn't require you to have an audit from every company who's interested in buying from you. So right. I've gone off in a lot of directions there. So yeah. hope that was okay. And that, is, that, <laughs> we, that answered actually a lot of the questions that we had for you. And also a lot of the questions that we have about sourcing. I think it shows the intricacies and the complexity of sourcing as a brand. You know, sourcing's hard. Yeah. It, yeah. It, so the, the problem is that mostly you're under pressure by your bosses to buy the most for the least. And I'm not saying that that is, does not have quality, but it often is a sub, can be a substandard. So you want to be able to make sure that if you're in purchasing and you're a young company that you have specifications, very rigid specifications based on information and, and realistic too. You don't want a pie in the sky because you won't be able to find that material. But something that's realistic and gives a range of like, you know, if it's not organic, you know, what can you accept in the form of chemical inputs, you know? And right. so, um, you know, you, you want that specification is very, very critical. And if you don't have specifications and go back, don't work for anyone, don't purchase for anyone, don't do anything unless the company has specifications, help them write them. And then the next step would be if you are selling materials to have your certificate of analysis and that too needs to have certain data. I mean, okay, so you have your heavy metals and you have your pesticides and you have your E. coli, et cetera, but did you identify the plant? And if they say the plant name, they might say a characteristic color, but how did they determine that? That can be an analytical test and that's mm -hmm. where we those are things that people just assume are correct. And you can't do that. You really can't do that. You have to make sure that you have identified your material and it's really what you want. So uh, many years ago when ordering, I think it was golden seal, all of a sudden the capsules I was buying, I was just getting um, you know, something for my personal use. They were yeah. green. And I'm like, wait a second. Golden seal root is yellow, yellow, definitely yeah. yellow. And so when yeah. I ask them, they go, well, you know, nobody said anything. So we thought we'd try and use leaves. Well, what kind of data do you have that that's a functional, how much hydrastocene or berberine or anything that's in there, right? So anyway, it's good uh, that you have a very strong quality department that you have dedicated funds for this and it should be a reasonable seven to ten percent of your entire budget now that is pretty rare and it is a rare boss that notices that or a rare executive team but you'll be surprised how much money you can save so in working with ssci Walmart was one of the main drivers of this program and you know a lot of people might poo poo Walmart but they have very rigid criteria for their herbs. And they did a lot of this research and, and field uh, compliance. And they found it saved a huge amount of money because they didn't have to do any recalls, which yeah. is a marketing problem and just financially a disaster. But your image, meaning your marketing. So anyway. Yeah, makes, sense. It makes like, a lot of sense. Yeah, taking these steps and investing in these kind of preventative measures so that you can always ensure the quality before it ever even touches the consumer side. Yeah. That makes perfect sense. And I, yeah, that, that was essentially was what I was going to ask is like, how can, how can brands who want to work with new suppliers, like how it's, it's so hard to find folks to trust um, when you're not going out and, and doing those audits yourself and, and visiting the farms, visiting the, the processing facilities. Um, yeah, if, I don't know if there's any sort of tips and tricks or how small businesses can, can know who to trust. Um, you know, COVID is changing things a lot. Yeah. And COVID is making electronic communication so much more valuable. Yep. It's very expensive to send your people into the field. I get that. It can save you money. I also understand that. But uh, 
I have worked, you know, a lot of people say, oh, you must travel so much. And I have, but the majority of my work is between me and my computer. So, you know, I travel between my office and, you know, the computer or something, you know, the phone it used to be, but now it's more almost always computer. And um, you have to ask a lot of different ways. So let's say if you're working with translators, which is a real issue, you know, how you ask questions is an anthropological study. And you should look into that. You don't want to ask questions that are yes or no. What are you finding out? So ask questions that are going to give you information. Don't bottom line it. And it's easy to do that because we like to tell people what we think and we like to tell people what we know. And so we ask them a rhetorical question, basically, and we get an answer that we want. But it doesn't really give you any information. You're assuming something. Mm. So you need to ask a question in multiple ways. I work with someone who's somewhat literate this definitely sends me emails a lot but i had to write a dozen and i've been working with them for a while i had to write a dozen emails different questions asking because there was a confusion about the part was it bark from the root or the root and he kept saying i sent you the right part i did everything i always am very careful about things and so he was concerned about being ethical you know in his work but the point was, I knew there was a problem, but because we were getting analytical confusion, right? And so I had to keep asking, keep asking, keep asking. And ultimately found out that indeed he wasn't collecting bark, but he was collecting root. And we were getting some positive results uh, in the lab, but anyway, mm -hmm. so you have to um, really spend a lot of time asking questions. It's a two-way street, you know, you would think that, um, uh, using a, um, a translator, you would ask a question and you'd get an answer. It's very one way, but it's not. That person, first of all, has their own prejudices in trying to improve you. So when I was in China interviewing Tibetan people, there was a real cultural class there and people, she was embarrassed to tell me what some of the Tibetan people were saying. Mm -hmm. And I knew that. And so next time I insisted on a Tibetan you know, a person who knew Tibetan and English and Chinese, because you, you need all of those to really work on there. So you have to be very careful on what you're saying, what you're listening here, what you're hearing and, and clarify things in multiple ways, mm -hmm. even though it's the same question. Mm -hmm. So I think there are ways of doing that electronically. And I think a lot of our students were talking about this on webinars of how you know, they can't do their work. They can't get into the field to interview people and, and create trusting relationships. So how do you get that empathic feeling through a computer? Mm -hmm. You know, how do you create a, a true relationship? I, and I think you can do that. I think people have heart and, and, and are basically good and caring and could create these kind of conversations. It just might take longer, you know, you might have to have some way of showing that. And that's why creating reciprocity definitely helps. I mean, it can be like, I've bought computers for so many of my folks, you know, in, in the field because they didn't have it and they needed it for their own use, but I needed them to have it. Right. And so I just, um, I think there are ways of doing it. And I do think that zoom or Google Meet or, you know, Teams or, you know, whoever's going to do it, they're going to get there because mm -hmm. I think companies have realized it's very expensive to travel and we really don't need to do that as much. And so maybe, maybe more money will go into international travel. And, and then the thing about international travel and not sitting on a computer is you see why it's difficult to get you something. It's muddy it's steep, it's rainy, yeah. it's, you know, they don't have a car. So they have to take multiple buses to go four hours away to get you a specimen or there's a yeah. lot of logistics, a lot of logistics in the third yeah, world country. So if you wanna do that, then, you know, you might have to provide some things and ultimately maybe you'll get closer to the source so you can remove the middle people that could be charging. And, and maybe in some cases, if you're buying small, those middle people are very important. But if you're buying enough that you can go directly to a farmer, you might be able to, you know, provide uh, supply, um, supply techniques and also um, supplies in general that allow you, allow them to do a better job. You know, mm -hmm. I mean, it was, uh, we were doing a lot of hibiscus collection in Celeste for celestial seasonings. 
And when we were in Thailand, because we were trying to get them to plant that instead of opium, well, there's a difference in money there, but we were working with some of the political people there to do that. And we were a huge buyer of mm -hmm. hibiscus. So we could order by the um, 40, you know, 40 tons or, you know, a trailer load. Yeah. But they were, there's a seed pod that was intact. Well, we didn't want the seed pod and we didn't want to pay for that shipping. And so we noticed that they had a tool that was like a, a uh, looked like a pen with a sharp edge. So it was metal. So it looked like a tulip at the end with a handle. And so they would just twist and push through the seed pod. And then we'd only have the calyx, the subtending part of the flower. It's not the petals that you use in hibiscus. It's the calyx or the calyx. No, it's not. It's, it's the, it's not the red rosa sinensis. It's hibiscus abderifa, which is actually a yellow flower with a yeah. maroon center. And yes. you use the calyx, which is underneath, which is a fleshy, fruity, you know. So it has malgraft and Wonderful. other things. Thank you. So they were using that. And I was like, fascinating. So when our supplier was over there and they had taken one of the uh, R&D folk, they came back and described that. Well, it's celestial seasonings. We had our own machinists. We had our own, you know, repair people there and they worked the machines and fixed them day and night. They were an amazing group of men, very creative, very thoughtful. And, um, and so they made these and I brought them to some people we were trying to introduce hibiscus to in the new world, uh, Guatemala in this case. And so then they started using it. And so we were also sharing cultural ideas and it was fascinating, but that was a really simple thing that we could do. And we learned that when we were in the field. So mm -hmm. there are things you might not be able to do, but if you ask the right questions, like what is your problems? Where, where do your goals, what, why can't you do this in this timing? Mm -hmm. Or why is it so expensive? Then the last time I talked to you, how far, do, you know, what are your obstacles and how can right. I ha have you um, resolve those? Right. Right. Working as a team and asking those questions. I, I like that. So, right. And every culture is really different. You know, there, a lot of women do work in the field um, and you have to be careful in other cultures that women might not be in charge, even though they're working in the field. So you have mm -hmm. to ask questions and, you know, and when you see someone come out with a sprayer of, of chemicals, you're like, what are you doing? You know, there was a time where I was like, oh, look, we're collecting the bark and there's ants crawling all up and down. And they said something in their local language I didn't understand. The next thing I know is they're putting an outlawed uh, chlorinated hydrocarbon pesticide on this tree. Mm -hmm. And I'm, I'm like literally backing up, you know, deer in headlights going, could get it was aldrin which we haven't used here in the united states for many years i'm like go wash your hands and then i realized oh my god they're washing their hands in the stream that goes down to their village that they drink you know and i just panicked in every which way because i didn't know how to rectify that situation but afterwards i said do not use that ever i don't care if there's ants on there maybe they're not doing anything but let's look at that problem first before we start putting toxins and they were hand applying it which was like no. So anyway, there's a lot to say to be in the field yourself, but I'm yeah. sure, you know, providing a phone with a video, you know, and taking, you know, and showing you when they come back, hey, we're running into this problem. How can you help us? You know, there's, we can provide video at phones and then phones, they can take pictures of things. So this man I was talking about that's somewhat illiterate, I didn't want to hear, repeat the same things. I said, okay, I'm giving you a larger order. You know, I'm going from like eight kilos to a hundred kilos or 30 kilos to hundred kilos. I want to make sure this is done right. I want you to take pictures. I want you to report to me every week. I want you to, you know, so we're working it out. Yeah. And so would you say when you, I have a couple of different questions, but when you work with farmers, how do I ask that? I guess let's start with right now. Or do you work kind of as like the middle and in, in the middle between the facility and the farmer? You said from farm to facility, but do you work with a specific brand to help them find sourcing or? Uh, I am a generalist. My training's in ethnobotany, but who okay. hires an ethnobotanist in the natural products industry, right? 
So I work for all types of people. So the man I'm talking about that's illiterate, let's just talk about that in Tanzania. He's been so reliable and the quality of what he sends me, it's always dry and you know, perfect, mm -hmm. right? So maybe his language is an issue, but everything else has just been perfect. And I've been working with him for 10 years or so. And so that is a company that I have collected maybe a thousand unique plants that are not common in the herb industry that are based on traditional knowledge. And okay. they have been slowly researching those to um, uh, see if any of them would fit some of the biological indications that they're interested in. And so now this, after 10 years of this, this might be a product that we develop. And that would be wonderful because then I can work directly with the community to bring this wild ingredient into cultivation if possible. That's not always possible. Right. So then we might um, you know, try to create a cultivated situation in the wild where it's most natural and we can get you know, the best results. In areas where I've been working on policy, meaning guidelines and these auditing um, guidelines, I'm working with organizations that are working with multiple companies that are quite successful and large enough to put money into, not to pay me, it's volunteer work, but to pay, you know, to, to create these kind of opportunities and then implement them by testing them in their, uh, in their fields. So um, it's a little bit of everything. I've done some audits directly for, com for companies and brands to check on, you know, their uh, cranberry, um, uh, you know, field audits and, um, and a few others, you know, uh, this one on marigolds we looked at in India and uh, a couple things in, in China. So we have done some, but it's, it's not uh, a common practice because it costs a lot for someone to go in the field, like we're talking about mm -hmm. the transportation, the time after the preparation, the, the housing, the, you know, but I do think in the long run, it would help your bottom line. I definitely do because you will know where all the problems are. You will not have to be testing a ton of it. You know, you won't right. have to do like all these tests because you know what you're getting when you come in. And that goes back to something I haven't really talked about is this traceability. And it's okay to do the auditing, but then what do you do with the data? So I've worked for a company called Tag One during our time uh, at SSCI, Supplement Safety Compliance Initiative. And, um, and we created a simple phone app, basically, and he'll be horrified that I called it a phone app because it's so much more than an app. It's a very complex traceable program that goes from seed through the consumer. So there's actually marketing, there's ways of putting all your testing on there, all the documentations you have in-house. So there is a, a, a huge area and it can be divided into sections if people don't wanna do all parts of it, but it's much more comprehensive than what I'm calling as a phone app, but it's, you know, if you can figure that out. So we're asking, you know, there's a whole, um, a whole profile on the farmer how, where's their, we protect private information, right? But maybe you want to know by hitting the QR code, who's collecting your materials and where mm -hmm. they are in the world. I'm not going to tell you where their farm is, but, you know, and they, you know, how long they've been there and how long they're doing it and what's unique about them and what's unique about how they process the material or how do they get it from their field to the processing, you know, who knows, you know, mm -hmm. what that is and how do they identify it? Is it by some sensory analysis or are they actually, you know, no botany and they can identify it, which is probably rare. Mm -hmm. So if you were a brand you and you got this app, you could use it to find the right great sourcing in these in the source the people that are on the app have been vetted um it's not a b2b I, I, yeah i have to think about that because that isn't really what it's for okay. it's not for you to go on the app and find a supplier it's for your company to use it so your consumers can learn all the stages all the quality all the steps that you've taken to get that into the bottle and uh, for you to track all that information, so you have it, um, and then uh, 
for we we've talked about some of this about finding you know how to create a b2b opportunity because that is hard for small um small companies to find decent suppliers you know you can go to um a lot of co-packers but that's co-packers are um are at the um beck and call of those wanting the product and so they often get a request for a huge diversity of materials of which they haven't vetted enough. That's my problem, yeah. is my issue with them. But it's their problem because they're trying to make money. They're trying to have, you know, satisfy their customers and do a good job. But they have like, you know, 100 to 400 ingredients. And you can't know all, all the information you need on that. So you- right you need to start small and, and grow with that. So you're definitely aware of where you're getting it each time and not buying by price. It's mm -hmm. a really hard position, a co-packer to be in. And it could be a weak link for us and could be a strength because not everybody wants to have a facility to pack. And so having those people in our industry is very important. I don't, I don't want to undermine their importance, but I think that we as people who work with them then have to go back with all this information and say, hey, I need to know this. Mm -hmm. And right. that's how you choose those people is if they have their standard operating procedures, if they've got approved vendors, um, you know, in, in their specs and things like that. So it's no different than as if you were doing it because you are responsible for that if you're FDA anyway, but you know, you, you need that oversight and therefore you need to be informed and not necessarily to, um, just take their word for it, but make yeah. sure that you have your own responsibilities that, and oversight for that. So I'm not sure that would be a B2B uh, on how to find that, but I think there's a place for that. And we have, I've been talking to Tag One a little bit about that and to my colleague uh, in, in the company that we used to call ID, um, you know, identification of dietary ingredients. We each have our own consultings, Blake Ebersol, and, um, and he's doing a lot of great work, and, but we do, uh, work on that as we have with the, you mentioned earlier on the um, ethical sustainable um, guidelines too that we've created. Yeah, wow, wow, wow. Okay. Yeah, I mean, I think that this tag, the tag one seems like an incredible resource. Um, and yeah, I think having, something that is a b2b platform that that can help small businesses to source or to or to just have access to a hub where there are vetted sources or even vetted co-packing facilities mm -hmm. um would be really really valuable that's definitely something that like we're we're continuously seeing is that you know small businesses maybe they don't necessarily just take the, someone's word for it, but they, they do put in, you know, some, some bit of, uh, you know, research, but um, yeah. There in the past, there was some, wrong. in the past, there was some B2B, but that was uh, very early on. And I don't think the electronics supported that as well as it can now. So I mm -hmm. think there's, there can be a second emergence of that. And um, so I, I think there are things out there. I might not be well-informed on that because that's not my strength, but also Informa who runs a, a lot of our publications and, um, and our shows has been amazing in being able to list those things. So by communicating with Informa and their magazines and uh, even some of the other uh, William Reed um, magazines, they do list those things. There's a, uh, I can't remember which one of the publications, if it's Nutritionals International or whatever, but they did have a list of suppliers as one of their annual issues. And so there are things out there. I don't mean to think there isn't anything. There are mm -hmm. things out there that you can do. And then by joining, you know, some of the trade organizations, United Natural Products or ABC or American Herbal Products or CRN, um, you know, they, you meet people. You know, and, and that's a value for a small company because there are committees where you can work with those people who yeah. have already worked out a lot of those issues. So don't undermine jumping in at meetings and, and, and be, you know, finding out what the trade industry um, organizations are doing because they're extremely valuable for you. 
Mm-hmm. Fantastic. Okay. That's great. If, if you were going to start a brand and you knew nothing about how <laughs> to find the right, what would, <laughs> I know that's a weird thing to ask, but what would be the first step that a brand should take to find uh, their ingredient that they're looking for? What would be the first thing they should do? Assuming they've already been uh, trained in FDA guidance by some of the people out there who do trainings and they've checked in with some of these things and they have their specs and stuff. I guess I would, I would attend meetings. I have found that interactive has been great. And I don't know how that's working now, except that there are ways on Informa meetings, supply side in particular, has been the most important meeting to find suppliers. That's the whole purpose of that meeting. And it's usually in the fall. They have it called Supply Side 365 now in Forma. And you can join. And there are all sorts of areas where you can have, um, I don't know if it's appointments. I haven't done it. it it's kind of like what we, you know, was called speed dating in the form of meeting a company, asking questions and things like that. Okay. So you have to do a little more of your homework because it's not as spontaneous. But if you knew what you were looking for, I'm sure there are ways of putting that in there and then for them to match up with some people. And so, um, you know, I think that does exist. And so I would, I would supply side is really where people need to look at that. And that is an Informa um, base. I don't know that um, some of the William Reed um, publications has that. I, I'm sorry, because I believe they're extremely valuable publications. I don't, I just not as familiar with that because they didn't run the trade shows per se. And, but I have a feeling they must because they do put out that publication. And mm -hmm. so I would look at some of their publications, uh, nutritionals, um, and uh, they have several. And um, they do a lot of different interviews. You know, we'll be doing an interview on ashwagandha and sustainability and traceability later on this month. And then... Um, mm -hmm. I had one other way to do that and I've lost my train of thought. Um, anyway, I, I, I guess I would just say, you know, look into the publications, get as many as you can that are trade publications and find the one that fits you and, and write to them, uh, the authors of articles or whatever. And, you know, we're a very interactive, uh, you know, industry people, are friendly, you know? Mm -hmm. And so, you know, but as soon as we can get back to meetings, I think that's the way to go. And I think that's true for students as well who might be listening because I always encourage students to go to like the Society for Economic Botany meetings if you're interested in being ethnobotanist or anything to do with that. And, and, and it's the same thing, a lot of professors I shouldn't say a lot. There are some professors who bring their students to the trade shows to see how things work, especially mm -hmm. the marketing teams, you know, marketing students. So um, really do poke around it at your universities and your professors. It's really a lot about who you know. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, I don't, you know, start with your retailer if that's where you've got nothing else, begin there. But I, and look at what publications they're carrying. But I do think there are some um, publications that you probably, I'm going to look that up while we're talking for a minute. Um, you know, that would, would help. Um, I'm just going to look up. I'm not. I think that that's a great point, though, that, that I think um, that the, you don't have to operate as an island. There are so many resources out there already that um, it's just about, you know, finding one that aligns with your, your needs and your particular specifications. Yeah. Mm -hmm. like that. that's yeah yeah understand what the fda the fda understand part i think is a really interesting thing to talk about that's something that we actually talk about a lot because we do marketing so we have to understand what you can and can't say especially as related to herbs and plants um, so i wanted to just say that the um the the journal the magazines that i've been difficult in remembering all their names. It's Nutra Ingredients. I was saying Nutraceuticals, Nutra Ingredients, Food Navigator, Cosmetic Design and Outsourcing Pharma. Um, it, outside of Informa, there, 
you know, really an important, um, you know, group. It's the William Reed Business Media Group. And, but Neutral Ingredients is the one that has that, um, I, I, well, used to, and, and I just, you know, I've been getting so much electronically, it's hard to remember to separate yeah. them all, you know, at this point from my brain. And so, um, you know, they, but they used to have an annual, you know, supply listing. Mm -hmm. And, um, and then again, as the trade organizations, as I said, but, you know, yeah. Anyway, I just Fantastic. wasn't doing them a service and, I, and they've been so supportive of me that I wanted to make sure that I offered Wonderful. reciprocity. Yes, yes. No, thank you for, for searching those because that, that's fantastic yeah. resources. Um, we'll, inc we'll include them in the links in this uh, video. In the yeah, and Informa has several, which I didn't list, but if yeah. you in general look up Informa, you'll be able to find that. And they do do so. all our trade shows. And so uh, again, Supply Side 365 is really where people are going to find that. It's, wow. it's been a great thing because there have some blocks of people from different countries. And so you can work with Peruvian or Filipino or Chinese and see products that you didn't even know existed. And, and then there's areas where they've grouped probiotics or, you know, it just, it, they've grouped uh, people together sometimes in, for that. And, and they have valuable, um, you know, speaker forums of these companies and then unique uh, speakers outside of the companies to talk about specific wow. topics. So it's, these trade shows are, have been so critical. Um, you know, I started going when I worked at Celestial on my own because, you know, they were sending people. So there was no a budget for me to go. And I went and I realized how valuable it was in my job. You know, mm -hmm. I learned what was going on for my job, who to communicate with and ask questions when I was confused about something. So really, there's a lot of people out that would help you. And, and companies used to call us, you know, people would call and now they actually have their own companies. They've been people who've worked various parts of the industry who called and asked us, you know, hey, what are, what are you doing for pests? And you know, he would call frequently, which was kind of a bother. My boss was going, hey, this guy's calling too often. I'm like, yeah, but he's asking all the right questions. I will answer him. I'll have to put extra time in. I will, but yeah, he's asking the right questions. So, you know, let people know if you're a consultant and they're calling you that this is your work, you know, make sure you're wise about that. Otherwise people will take you for as much as you can, they can, you know? Yeah, I think that's great advice. Wow, I feel so much more hopeful. So uh, last <laughs> last month we talked about deforestation and um, it was kind of a bummer. Uh, and this month we kind of started off being like, I have nowhere, I have no real deep knowledge. And we tried to do some like basic farm search to see what that feels like as a brand. And we were like, this is also kind of a bummer. But now we have so many references to look at and so many things thank you so much trish i feel so welcome so much more hopeful well i do work as a consultant i did say that right yes. <laughs> but mostly i mean deforestation is a very serious problem i mean granted yeah. not, i've been in the industry for a while and when i started studying ethnobotany it was like well we can save you know contiguous areas you know from from deforestation and then we can figure we can save key species that would allow for the species around them to survive and we're getting into smaller and smaller and smaller spaces of saving and it's getting harder and harder and if you look at just carbon dioxide what was that uh woody harrelson has a new movie out bless the earth bless yeah something it, it's like great it talks about the it, it really does talk about carbon dioxide a lot cool. and it interviews a lot of different people who have been important in this process uh um that um i think uh i think have valuable input and have been talking a lot about this. Um, even Bill Gates talks about climate change all the time, mm -hmm. but yeah. it is serious. And if we're not it, paying attention to some of this in our process, we will not have plants. We will not have the knowledge. Those people have to go further and further and further. Years ago, when I went out to Tibet to, to show them how to do some sustainability studies on harvesting, 
we had to go really far. We were walking over, not just up to Alpine areas, but over and down into the next valley to find that because the Chinese were immigrating their people into those areas and removing Tibetan people um, uh, or integrating them. And those Chinese people had goats and sheep and they wiped out the landscape, you know? And so I, it's just so subtle to see those things, but I don't want to undermine that deforestation is a very important issue for all of us to look at. And that's why paying attention to your field people is so important. So they're going to keep you informed. They're going to mm-hmm. keep you informed if the, if the properties are disappearing, if the government's changing the rules about, you know, erosion and use and, you know, and, and some of the guidelines from APA that I talked about are going to tell you, you know, don't just collect anything from the wild, make sure there's no mines upstream. What's the history of the water use? What's the land yeah. use? There's so many things to think about when you think about, um, you know, sustainability and um, the environment. And I think that even though I think regenerative regenerative agriculture is redoing what we already know it goes one step further to maybe look more at soil science and hopefully culture and even though I was like well we we've already been there done that you know I mean it's the problem youth is great because they're so full of energy and excitement and creative but some of these things have been done and we need to sometimes look to our elders to really ask these questions and not and, and be careful of our arrogance as pe- as a people. And mm-hmm. so that happens in every part of our lives, you know, whether it's your personal or not. So anyway, I'm yeah. going off into another tangent here. So I apologize. I don't mean to be talking about personal philosophy, but I think it affects us in our work. And that's what ethics is really, you know, sorry, there's a bug in front of me. Um, what ethics is really about. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. That yeah. But just, I mean, yeah, if empowering business owners to, to have an open and honest dialogue with the suppliers and everyone who's in their supply chain and, and really treating those people like they are a team member and not just some distant person who you can't have a relationship with. Yeah. Um, I think that's really important. And that's, yeah. You know, they depend on us. We touch their lives yeah. in a way that we don't even grasp. You know, they live in a hut down the dirt road from us. You know, for us to ask for hand washing stations and bathrooms and all these things, is right. that realistic? Right. We want sanitary conditions, but you know, are we, what are we asking for? And so know what's right. possible and realistic. You know, they've got dogs walking around pooing in the field. So, you know, you know, I'm not saying our people are doing that, but, you know, I, I think we have to be careful on what we're asking for and, and why, and to really, you know, make sure you have those exactly what you're saying, open lines of communication with your suppliers. It might be three people deep. You might not be talking to your supplier if you're a small brand, but there are ways of communicating, asking those questions and getting them back. And if your supplier can't answer them, go get another supplier. There are people out there that know that. And there are some great suppliers out there who care, you know, who create co-ops in this country, you know, and work with those local people. Mostly those are North American that I'm talking about in that case, but there are co-ops in other countries, but, you know, maybe co-ops aren't appropriate in other countries. So there's just so many questions to ask. It's just not simple. You know, we as a complex organism, that's how nature is. And that's how the people who work in nature are. Right, right. Yeah, we don't create simple structures. <laughs> We're not simple. That's what's so fascinating about it all, right? It's so exciting and, and what intrigues us, you know, to really be able to connect with people and understand how to use these plants well, because we want to heal others. And yeah. we might have to start with the earth, you know, so. Definitely. I think, so. I think that's a really good place. That's a really good note to to end on also thank you uh, that we might have to heal we want to heal each other and we might have to heal the earth i think that's beautiful um trish where can people find you or get a hold of you if they have more questions you know i've i've written a lot of articles and chapters and books and given talks so if someone just looks up trish flaster 
they can often Google and find something. But of course, the best way to do that would be to look at my botanicalliaisons.com webpage. And when it says Trish Flaster, that will be an email to me. And I'd welcome all sorts of conversations, you know, as simple as you might think they are, they, you know, maybe I have an answer, maybe I haven't thought about it, but I might be able to direct you. My years of experience in the industry have offered me that. And, um, and there's a lot I still don't know, as, as you can gather, there's a lot of younger people coming up and, and, and young organizations that I'm not as familiar about, but there's a lot out there. And so I encourage you to talk to people and chat with them and, and find what you need and don't, don't give up until you do do what you're passionate about, but please do contact. And, and I don't want to give out my cell phone number, sorry, but uh, I will answer email. Yeah, perfect. <laughs> That's great. Thank you so much for your time, Trish. This has been so incredible and really, really inspiring. And I'm excited to dive into a lot of these resources that you shared. Thanks. Yeah. And if there's any other topics that come up from your clients or, or listeners that uh, we can dive deeper in, let's talk about it because it's always a conversation. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you very much. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> Thanks for watching everybody. Thanks everybody. If you love this content, please hit the subscribe button. That would be awesome. <laughs> Bye.